Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This is the Athletic Hockey Show. All right, welcome to another Wednesday roundtable edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Jesse Granger in Vegas, uh, along with Michael Russo in Minnesota and our guest co-host Joe Smith in Minnesota. How you guys doing? Doing Doing well. Really well. Living the dream, man. How about you? <laughs> Doing good. I'm filling in for Rob Pizzo. He is at the uh, Veneer Cup, which, look, I've learned a lot about uh, university, Canadian university sports, uh, writing stories on Logan Thompson. I had no idea about it, but I do know the Veneer Cup is Canada's uh, football university championship this week. Rob's out covering that. Um, our guests this week, we've got two of them lined up. We're going to have NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, and later on, we're going to get uh, Doug Armstrong, St. Louis Blues general manager Doug Armstrong on. Uh, Joe is going to be traveling for Thanksgiving. We're going to talk to Doug tomorrow, uh, so Joe won't be on that, but we're all going to talk some hockey here on Tuesday night, um, starting off with Thanksgiving coming up, like I mentioned. And the I feel like Thanksgiving is an unofficial holiday uh, in, in the NHL. We all look at it. There's the stat, 77% of teams that are in playoff position on Thanksgiving end up in playoff position uh, when the season ends. And the GMs kind of look at this as a benchmark for when it's time to panic or when it's time to feel maybe a little bit different about a team that you didn't expect to do well. As we reach this holiday, um, who are you guys, I guess, what team are you guys most worried about? We'll start with you, Michael. Uh, most worried about? Um, man. I mean, uh, like one team that I thought that was going to be uh, right there at the end this year was Ottawa. I thought this was going to be a team that was going to fight for a playoff spot. And they were, you know, one of the worst teams in the NHL. They're losing by multiple goals every single night. Uh, the tension is clearly ratcheting up uh, there. Um, another team that has just been miserable of late, especially on the road, is the Washington Capitals in the Eastern Conference. They just look like they're getting super old, super quick. Uh, Darcy Kemper is realizing he's not in Colorado anymore. Um, those are two teams from the Eastern Conference uh, that that really concern me uh, right now. Joe, how about you in the West? 
Yeah, I mean, Vancouver, I mean, not that people thought that they'd be the greatest team in the league, but they're clearly struggling, and it's been a, a year, since the start of the year, pretty much struggle. Um, like a lot of questions about whether Bruce Boudreaux is going to finish the year or not, but that's a team that has more talent than the, than the record indicates. I also thought Washington, too, especially in that Metropolitan Division where you have the Devils clearly on fire. You know, Cap, the Carolina's going to be there in the end, even like the Rangers out of a playoff spot, technically, if you look at it right now. Uh, in that in that division so um, the Caps for me were surprised I picked Ottawa as the team (laughs) to surprise make the playoffs in our early season production projection so I was also uh, wrong on that front but a lot to watch here uh, early on I feel like a lot of these teams you can that are are struggling early you can point to a, a reason that they will come back like Washington for example like they're they're clearly injured I covered a team last year that was injured and they never got healthy. And I feel like those things yeah. snowball. And to me, Washington reminds me a lot of the Vegas roster because it's a big, heavy roster full of veteran players. Like sometimes those things don't just you just don't ever get healthy and, and you can never really feel yourself. I'm I'm seriously worried about Washington um, and, and their ability to to come back and be a playoff team. I think we were all looking for who could possibly drop out of last year's playoffs. Like, like you said, we were expecting Ottawa to make a jump. Who are, who are they going to pass? I think Washington is, is clearly a team. Is, is there a team out there that's not in the playoffs that you think is, it's not time to worry about right now? Like it, it, that this, this deadline means absolutely nothing for them. Um, I think, I think the Oilers are one team that I think is going to wind up there at the end. I just have trouble believing that Seattle is going to make the playoffs <laughs> and that the Oilers aren't going to figure out a way to get in there. Um, you know, one team, how fascinating is it, Jesse and, and Joe, that, that for the last two, three weeks, we've been sounding the alarm on the St. Louis Blues, and here n- none of us uh, picked them as a team to worry about because they've suddenly won seven in a row right. and are in a playoff spot. Isn't it crazy how quickly things can change um, in the NHL? Um, you know, that that's one team that I think that, that I wouldn't worry about. I, I still think Florida's a team that's going to figure it out at some point. Um, Pittsburgh, I've seen recently. I don't think they're very good. Uh, but Florida is a team that I just don't buy that they're not going to figure it out. Um, you, you know, in, in that one, another team that we haven't mentioned, Joe, shockingly, that we're not that I'd be concerned about is Minnesota. By the way, um, this this just doesn't seem like a team that is going to you know reel off a bunch of wins in a row. Um, you know, lots of injuries, lots of uh, you know trying to reshuffling the deck to figure out what they have in the lineup and. And right now they're not in a, in a playoff spot, only a couple points out. But it just doesn't feel like this is the same team that I covered the last. Uh, they're like they're trying to find their identity still, right? I mean, and they've had injuries. Ryan Hartman's not coming back anytime soon. That's a big blow. Their number one center last year at thirty-three goals. So uh, you have Sam Steele's are one cent, number one center right now, and Marco Rossi's getting scratched. It's just a, it's just a weird time for the Minnesota Wild, where other teams in their division are pick up points and, and get better. And so um, unless they have that outscoring their problems like they did last year and have those miracle wins or those comeback from the wins that you really haven't seen maybe until Saturday night. Yep. One of the teams that I think had a little bit of a slow start. They've, they've certainly uh, picked things up now. I don't think anybody was worried about them was the Colorado avalanche and uh, defenseman <laughs> Kale McCarr has not had a slow start to this season or his career. He's the fastest defenseman to reach 200 points and it did not take him long at all. Uh, what impresses you most about him, Michael? Well, I mean, you know what, Ashley, this is the first thing that popped in my mind that's going to make everybody laugh is his defensive play is so much better than when I remember when he first came in the league during the playoffs a couple of years ago. That guy battles. He is a competitor. 
um, on the defensive side of the puck, which allows him to be so creative and dynamic on the offensive side of the puck. And, you know, I almost think it's laughable if you think about it. Until he got to Europe, he didn't score a goal. And everybody was like, what's going on with Kale McCarr? And now you look at him right now, he's just gobbling up points left and right. He just he needed that proverbial seal to absolutely be taken off. And he, he, now the, the, the points are coming every single night. Um, you know, Joe and I obviously were at the Stanley Cup final. The one thing that struck me is that even the Nathan McKinnons of the world say that he's the most important player on that team, that he's the most valuable player on that team, and that, you know, you could get by without a Landeskog maybe now and then. You can get by without a McKinnon or a Rantanen for a short period of time. But you take McCarr off that lineup, and they're a very, very different-looking team. He is that it reminds important. me of kind of like in Tampa, Victor Hedman. Like John Cooper always says, as Hedman goes, we go. In a similar way with Colorado with, with McCarr. Um, and so I think he just does everything well. Um, he has that presence about him. Uh, he has that threat where if you're game planning against the Colorado Avalanche, you've got to know where he's at the ice every single time because he can change the game in an instant. And yep. uh, laughing at this now, do our NHL 99 stories, I was just laughing to think that he might have been on, <laughs> be on there with the way he started his career. Right. You know, uh, how many of those guys would you, how many would, would, guys would you take over him? So, um, but yeah, just impressive start to his career, which is going to be um, a, long, a long and successful one, I think. Definitely. That transitions us perfectly into the next topic, which is another one of these defensemen that uh, as he goes, his team goes. The Sharks just blew the doors off the Senators the other night, five to one. And Eric Carlson is doing ridiculous things again. Um, I think we we weren't sure if he'd ever do this again. It's pretty clear he's back to 100 percent. He's got 30 points already this season on a team that's not scoring a lot of goals. So this isn't just him racking up the points just for being on the ice. I mean, he is driving the offense in San Jose. Uh, what's what have you guys noticed about his resurgence? We'll start with you, Joe. Well, just health can do amazing things, right? And just both physically and mentally, I think he's doing things that he didn't feel comfortable doing uh, last couple of years. Uh, just with his skating, has always been his strength. Um, his hockey IQ has been his strength. And people forget, like four or five years ago, he was arguably the best player in the in National Hockey League, you know, forward or defenseman. Uh, and so I think you're seeing glimpses of that now. Um, and for a guy who's uh, obviously had an illustrious career and. Uh, won a couple of Norris trophies. Uh, I think it's it's fun to see guys having career rebounds where they probably thought people thought they might be pretty much on the tail end of their career. For him to have a rebound like this, uh, it's got to be a lot of fun for for not only Sharks fans but fans around the league or fantasy or fantasy owners. Too. Yeah, he's yeah, <laughs> especially fantasy owners. He has twenty three points in his last twelve games. Um, you, you know, you mentioned though, like he had a four point night the other night and they still lost that game to Detroit. Like, uh, he is about the only thing right now that really makes the Sharks, uh, at times watchable. I mean, obviously we've seen, you know, team of Meyer and things like that, but that's, that team is still uh, a real work in progress and, and they don't have a lot coming as well. But, um, you know, Carlson, uh, looks to me to be as dynamic as ever. And it's coming at a good time because, you know, you know, Mike Greer is trying to suddenly throw, float his name out there as somebody that they can maybe move. And I think they would still love to get out of that, um, albatross of the contract and not have him as a $10 million player. So we'll see what happens, uh, there. But he is certainly, um, making Mike's job a little bit easier because I got to think everybody's going to start looking at Carlson very differently than they did a couple years ago. Can you can you imagine Absolutely. a return to Ottawa? Can you imagine a Carlson back in Ottawa situation? <laughs> I mean, not that he could fit their cap situation, yeah. but I don't know. He might. I didn't, and that might be one of the only places he'd waive his no move clause for, right? I think we talked about this last week, but like he's sitting pretty in, in the Bay Area. He's got this contract. He, it's up to him whether he wants to move or not. I think Ottawa might be one of the rare situations where he would say, you know what? But I mean the team's got to do better, right? The, the team has to win some yeah. games in order to make that even an option. I don't know what's going on with that team right now, by the way. 
I mean, this like, like, you know, I don't like we saw them uh, about a month ago in in Ottawa. And, you know, they, they just looked to me like a team that had all the elements to be this rising team that could actually make an impact this year with a little coaching. And, you know, they, as I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mean, they do some funky stuff coming out of their zone, but you still look at the, 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 the you know, some of the, the talent that they have in their lineup and how good they should be. And it's just not coming. And you just feel like there is now suddenly pressure. And I know that Pierre Dorian came out a couple of weeks ago and, and totally gave a vote of confidence for G.J. Smith and said that it's premature to even talk about um, his job, but at some point something's going to have to give because there was a ton of expectations on that team. And even though there's still a rising team with a lot of young talent, when you go out and get Giroux and Debrinket and Talbot, you're doing it in part because the rebuild is over and it's time to start winning. And right now they're doing no winning. But is starting over really doing anything? And like we saw Brady Kachuk come out this week and, and say it's on the players. Like he, he supported DJ Smith and said, and basically said, we don't need a coaching change. We need to play better. And to me, it's like, mm-hmm. You, you hire this guy because you think he can coach this hockey team to win and like let these people do their jobs a little bit, right? Like we, if, if you're just restarting over and over and over again, I think it's tough to, to, to say a coach isn't going to be able to get this hockey team around after 20 games or after even a season. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't, part of me said, like I totally agree, I see why he'd be on the hot seat, but part of me, and, and it seems like the owner and the players agree in this is like, maybe, maybe if we just give these guys more time to do their jobs, I feel like the NHL is becoming the ultimate quick trigger fire a coach immediately. As soon as just as a quick fix, uh, Joe, what do you think? No, I agree. And I think there's, you know, the, the successful organizations around the league and a lot of them have longevity and stability from their GM to coaching staff. I mean, I covered a team in Tampa that longest tenure coach and GM has been, been around the organization for 12 years. Um, not that Cody Cooper was ever on the hot seat other than maybe after the 2019 sweep to Columbus, but he had won under with that team for several years. So uh, I think that there's a lot of changes in Ottawa, a lot of expectations in Ottawa, ownership you know, situations very fragile. They're trying to figure that out. A lot of going on with that team, where sometimes it takes a little longer than people think for that kind of gel and mix as a team. You have all these great individual stars, but to, for them to work together as a team doesn't always take, uh, you know, it takes more than twenty games for that to happen. So maybe they'll have that patience. Maybe the those wolves vote of confidence from Brady Kachuk and from Pierre Dorian will, will, will pay off. Though here we are at Thanksgiving, isn't it amazing? There's been no coaches uh, fired in the National Hockey League. Uh, it's it's crazy to me. I mean, Bruce Boudreaux has been on the firing line for about three weeks now. So, yeah, this feels like nothing's happening. It, it definitely does. It's strange. Um, another another news note: we saw Shane Wright, uh, Seattle Kraken, are going to send him down to the AHL for a conditioning stint. Um, from what I, from what it sounded like, um, from Elliot Friedman and those national guys. It sounded like they've been wanting to do this for a while, but you have to yeah. play it. You have to be scratched for five games in a row. And he did play that one game in the middle. So they had to sit him for another five games in order to send him down. Um, you guys wrote a story on Shane Wright recently. Um, what do you think the future holds for him? I know there there's the world juniors coming up and there's questions of whether he's going to play for that. Um, what do you think this ultimately means them sending him down to the AHL? And how do you think this, this ends? Well, I do think that's the future. Um, you know, the one game in the middle happened to be Minnesota, and when they didn't play him that night, you wondered if they were if they were going to do this or if they was just they were just trying to uh, you know design a part in their minor league schedule to send him to to where he get the maxima max you know maximizes his time um, you know with uh, with with the team there and uh, they're in Palm Desert, aren't they? Um, in yes. uh, I believe Palm Palm Springs area. Um, 
you know, we, we, we both, like I talked to Joe and I double teamed that story a couple weeks ago and I talked to Shane and he was very, very adamant as all players are that they want to stay in the national hockey league, that this is the best place for them to develop, that he doesn't want to go back to juniors. Um, but if he's not going to play every single night, there's going to come a point where they're going to have to figure out a way to get him some ice time. And one way to do that is to send him to team Canada and have him play in the world juniors and then make a decision after that on what you're going to do. Are you going to bring him back to the national hockey league or are you going to maybe uh, see if he can go back and, and play? play major juniors that actually happened with Matt Dumba here in Minnesota once where he was on the team the first 13 games he got some scratches there they assigned him to team uh, to team Canada and eventually he was sent back to juniors right after the tournament and it makes a lot of sense if he's not going to get ice time I don't think that you want him just sitting all year long Um, but this is you know the one thing that I do find laughable from a critic's point of view is the people that are just saying that 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 they're ruining this kid he's 18 years old if you think that a Hall of Fame center and Ron Francis and Dave Haxtell, who has co- coached a lot of young guys, not just in the National Hockey League, but in his time coaching college hockey at University of North Dakota, is going to you know not have a development plan for this kid as important as he is, I just think it's it's just laughable. And so you know, I I really do trust that they know what they're doing and that they're trying to do what's best for for Shane in the long haul. Yeah, and you, you talk to guys in that room, veteran players from Eberle to Yanni Gord, and, and they love the kid. They think he's doing all the right things. The attitude is there. The, the skill, they can see that in flashes is there. Um, but not everybody can come into the league and, and, and like, like a Connor McDavid and, and tear it up. So I think for him, this is probably all, always in the plan, back of the mind for the Seattle Kraken, like knowing if this if he didn't show right away that he was ready to do it, then they would just kind of take their time, give him a game here or there, let him practice with the team, and then this could be an option where they could do the couple weeks of straight on playing top line minutes in the AHL, then go right to little juniors, and he can get you know his feels back and get his confidence back. And then all of a sudden, maybe it's a different decision when he comes back from World Junior. Maybe he's a different player. Maybe the team's in a different situation. So part of what Seattle had going for them too is they were winning hockey games, and they need to win hockey games this year. And to put out a better lineup that he wanted to win games, it wouldn't involve Shane Wright, at least at this point. So we'll see what happens after the Christmas break, most likely, I think, for this situation. All right. Good stuff, guys. And it looks like we are ready to be joined by NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. And we are happy to be joined by NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly. Uh, thanks for joining us, Bill. My pleasure, guys. Happy to be here. And uh, I think we'll start it off with, uh, we, we all saw the, the emotional ceremony that they had in Toronto for Boya Salming. And you just came back from Sweden. You were there last week. They had the 100th anniversary of the Swedish Ice Hockey Federation, and you were able to uh, present Boya with the uh, NHL Honorary Award. Can you just talk about that and, and what that moment was like for you? Yeah, it was, it was a pretty emotional experience, similar to what happened at, at Scotiabank uh, on on the weekend, Friday and Saturday night. Um, you know, the, the uh, Swedish an- anniversary was 100 years and they had about 900 kind of dignitaries on the floor for a, for a gala dinner and then let uh, the public in and filled the lower bowl. So there was probably about 4,000 people in the building. Um, and Borea was there with his wife and family, his, his two daughters and two sons, uh, came out and accepted the award. And there was a uh, rousing standing ovation, a uh, lot of motion uh, in the building. It was, uh, it, was, it was quite the moment. I was uh, obviously uh, thrilled to be a part of it. Bill, you know, uh, last um, June, you got to actually hand out the Stanley Cup, which I think is the first time in your life. And, you know, I was I was staring at it during that and I was thinking uh, you could see the pride in your face being able to do that. And then you get to go to these these Hall of Fame 
um, induction ceremonies, and you get to see so much in your role uh, as Deputy Commissioner of National Hockey League. W- what is it like when you go to these big events compared to just the nitty gritty that none of us get to see behind the scenes of when you know you're negotiating contracts and CBAs and all the stuff that sometimes creates unbelievable stress in your life. Well, there are obviously a lot of perks uh, involved uh, in my job, which uh, which I certainly appreciate uh, and um, you know uh, are very cognizant of. Um, and that's you know going to games, uh, meeting great people uh, who are in this sport. Um, and, uh, doing, uh, fun things that, that I love doing. Uh, so all of that, um, is very gratifying, uh, at the end of the day. Um, but as you say, Mike, there's, there's a lot of other aspects of my job, a little more, uh, uh, a little more taxing, um, uh, and, and they probably take up the bulk of my, my time. <laughs> Bill, speaking of big events that people are looking forward to is the World Cup, and I know fans and, and players alike. Uh, kind of while we're waiting on that front, I know it's been delayed a year. There's been a, there's an idea floated on Hockey Night in Canada regarding a Canada-U.S. series, um, maybe bringing the women to maybe since September or so. Like, what, Are there some alternatives maybe you guys can explore as a league? Uh, to get that best on best in some other way that um, either U.S. and Canada can be part of. Well, I mean, we've we've given some thought over time. We and the Players Association both have, have brainstormed over time uh, with respect to various competition formats that we might be able to to roll out um, in in different scenarios. Um, in a part of, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, I, I just read about the, the one that was proposed over the weekend. You know, my, my concern, uh, with, with a competition format like that is, is it, it's somewhat exclusionary to, you know, 30% of our player base in the sense that, um, sure, uh, you know, probably 70% of our player base is, is U.S. or Canadian board, but there's still a, a 30%. Uh, that are not, um, and I, I certainly wouldn't want to be in a competition format that excludes uh, those great players and those great countries who, who, who participate in the National Hockey League um, every night and help make us great. We I've heard some of the players mention how disappointing it is. If it, everyone understands why we aren't having the World Cup of Hockey, and it, it uh, I don't think anybody's arguing that we should under the current conditions, but I guess how. What what's the reaction been like for you guys? Um, have have players? I guess have you have you felt how disappointed players are? And then does it kind of make you excited for maybe how how excited players will be when you can eventually do something like that? Do you feel like there's there's a real excitement around the players uh, for eventually when it does happen? Well, well, certainly uh, we know um, you know we're very interested, and we know our players are very interested in in getting back to best on best international competition. Um, at the earliest possible date, um, that includes World Cups, but it also includes Olympic participation. Uh, we know there's a sense of disappointment. Certainly, we're disappointed uh, that we're not able to to roll forward with World Cup on on the original schedule. Um, but to their credit, um, you know, the, the the players felt like uh, similar to what I said before that if if the Russian players in our league can't participate, that it's not a tournament. Um, that they want to participate in, and and that's real credit to them. Um, thinking big picture and and world view, um, and uh, we certainly share that view. Um, we we hope we can we can turn the page on on the conflict sooner rather than later. Uh, obviously, a lot of unknowns and uncertainties, and don't know when that will be. 
Um, but as soon as we are able, uh, we'll, we'll certainly be ready to, to fire this up. Bill, I was just thinking about how it was at the GM's meetings in March, uh, night before it, uh, it ended, that Eugene Melnick passed away. Uh, the owner, longtime owner of the Ottawa Senators. Um, what is the latest with the Ottawa Senators uh, situation? Obviously, they've been in the news a lot lately. And uh, Ryan Reynolds, it seems like, uh, wants to be part of a group that could bring uh, a new ownership to the Senators. Um, ha- what is the latest there? Have you actually been in contact with Ryan Reynolds? Um, the answer is yes. Um, we, we have been in, in contact with, with uh, Ryan. Um, he's an incredibly, uh, cool guy, very insightful, uh, very passionate, very enthusiastic, um, is a big lover, uh, of hockey and NHL hockey in particular. Uh, and I, I, I certainly hope, uh, and think it would be great if he could be uh, a participant in, in a, in a winning bidder for, for Ottawa with respect to the process more broadly. Um, it's really just starting. Uh, um, uh, Galliato Sports Partners is, is running the process. Um, you know, a, a uh, retained third-party expert who, who's done a lot of these sales. Um, they'll proceed in a very professional way. The the, the one thing uh, that that uh, Melnick uh, uh, girls made clear, uh, Eugene's daughters made clear, is that they uh, they want this uh, franchise to be successful in Ottawa and and to operate and play in Ottawa. And that would be one of the ground rules uh, that we're working under. Uh, but other than that, you know, we've we basically they, they've basically just opened uh, the doors, and and um, uh, I, I guess the gratifying part there is there seems to be a lot of interest uh, early on here, um, and obviously that speaks to the senators, but I, I think it speaks to the vibrancy of NHL hockey as well. Um, so we'll see where the process goes, um, uh, but uh, we, we got a ways in front of us. Bill, obviously, um, the Bruins took some criticism, you know, for their decision to sign Mitchell Miller, maybe the lack of due diligence on their part in the family, and they'd be reaching out to you guys at least beforehand, too. Uh, do you guys say anything to the at the GM meetings, a message to the group on maybe, you know, how to handle it going, these kind of things going forward? And what was the lesson you think people should take away from this from a, a league perspective or a team perspective when going through these types of uh, uh, signings? Well, I don't think we addressed the Mitchell Miller situation specifically, um, but we did make the managers aware that obviously um, we're here and in, uh, in, in situations where there's any concern or hesitancy uh, or potential questions uh, with respect to uh, a particular uh, um, signing or, or player acquisition, uh, we're happy to be a sounding board and a resource. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously that, that, uh, people, um, you know, or clubs and, and personnel at clubs, um, should, uh, be focused on, on those issues, uh, and certainly be free and willing to reach out to us. Bill, one of the, one of the biggest business, I guess, issues this season, uh, talk around the NHL has been the Arizona Coyotes, uh, arena there was a lot of optimism um from you and from gary before the season about how maybe this would be this this situation that they found themselves in would be there there were some positives to it now that we've seen a few games in there how how are things from your perspective and and is there any update on on a potential new arena for the coyotes yeah i think the i think the reviews of the of the uh, mullet arena have been very very positive uh, both from the teams uh, the visiting teams that have played there the players that have played there um i i understand that the ice condition uh, is 
ice conditions are great. Uh, the intimacy of the facility is great. The fans on top of the, the action. Um, and, and quite frankly, having a full building um, and generating even more revenue than they were generating in their old building are all positives. Um, you know, more broadly, obviously, this club needs a new facility. Uh, they have plans for that new facility in Tempe. Uh, they've received the preliminary approvals they need from the Tempe City Council in terms of supporting that. Um, there are additional hurdles uh, uh, that lay ahead, um, but hopefully uh, we're all hopeful that uh, those will move quickly and they'll get the assurances that they need in the short term uh, to begin work on that new facility. Uh, Bill, can, uh, just going back to the Miller situation, what what is the next steps uh, from this process? I mean, obviously, it, it, you know, it, he's not eligible to play at least currently in the National Hockey League. They've made it attention that they're not going to have him sign. So, what is now? What are the steps there that that Boston needs to do to potentially either terminate his contract or buy him out or or whatever? Well, ultimately, that's a that's a Boston determination, uh, and I certainly uh, wouldn't. Um, uh, interfere in, in their decision-making process. I, I do know that they're currently evaluating uh, their options and the situation. I don't think they've made any decisions at this point in time, um, but I, uh, other than uh, that they don't believe that the, the player has a future with their club, um, what, they, uh, what they end up doing with respect to the contract and contractual relationship is really up to them. Bill, I'm sure you've seen what the NBA does this a lot where they stagger their game times on certain nights where there's a busy slate of schedule. And I was wondering if you guys ever thought of that too from the NHL perspective. When you have a ton of games on one night to about 15 minutes or so, kind of stagger them a little bit to get some more time for guys, people who watch them. Yeah, I mean, obviously we do stagger um, as a regular practice during, during our playoff scheduling. Uh, we also stagger during the regular season to a certain extent. Um, I think you have to be cognizant of the balancing uh, that staggering uh, comes with because uh, I think we, we are focused on the in-market fan experience. Um, and, uh, you know, those fan bases have expectations with respect to, to traditional start times that are sometimes difficult to change. Um, not all the time. Um, so I, I think you do it. You pick your spots. Uh, you do it where it totally makes sense to do. Um, and then where, uh, you know, you, you want to give a bias, uh, toward the hometown fans, you, you, you might not do it. So, uh, I think it's a balancing act to a certain extent, but, but we obviously see the value, uh, in doing it where, where it makes sense to do it. We've, we've spoken to a few GMs, um, about the, the meetings and how they went and, and the, the decision not to modify the, uh, coaches offside review or the puck over the glass, um. What what are your overall thoughts just from the GM meetings and and do you think that we're that those issues are pretty settled that they're going to stay how they are for now? Uh, yeah, I, I believe they are. I mean, I think the reaction there was a brief discussion uh, in particular on on whether uh, there should be a return from a, a, a two minute penalty to a to a loss of a timeout on on some challenges. Uh, I think it, the it was pretty overwhelming uh, that the group felt like the rule should stay the same as it uh, currently is, um, that there was a reason that the change was made and the re reason has actually proved successful. Um, so I don't think there was a whole lot of support for changing that. Uh, with respect to puck over the glass, that's something we've debated for probably 10 years. Um, 
And the, the biggest challenge on the puck over the glass is <clears throat> we find that the, the video replay uh, often doesn't really clarify the situation all that much. Uh, there are very few times uh, you'll get a definitive view on, on video um, that is any better than the, than the view that the four on ice officials have um, uh, on, on top of that play. So in, instead of introducing uh, something that would certainly delay the game uh, for, uh, you know, a, a small squeeze, perhaps um, the, the thought process is let's not do that. Uh, Bill, uh, obviously the global games are back on. We've seen games in Europe and Asia. There's been lots of reports lately that the league is investigating potentially playing games in in Australia. I know uh, one team uh, that would uh, love to be in that type of game. Uh, what, what is the latest with that? And is is that something that actually is feasible? Uh, well, I, I certainly think it's feasible um, for sure. There's been interest in Australia for a number of years now uh, with respect to potentially hosting uh, NHL teams. I think uh, if we were to pursue that, I think we pursue it at least initially on a on a uh, preseason basis, um, uh, a portion of training camp, and perhaps two exhibition games uh, in Australia. Uh, it, it's an intriguing possibility. I'm certainly not in a position to to rule it out. Uh, um, so it may, may even be more likely than not that that it happens. Uh, but there's no done deal yet. And and if it does happen, I mean, could you see as early as next season, or are we talking a little time away? It, it could be that that might be a little aggressive, but but certainly, um, it, I, I wouldn't rule that out at this point. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bill. We appreciate uh, you covered pretty much everything here. We hopped around to a bunch of topics, but uh, we always appreciate the time and your insight. Thank you, guys. I appreciate uh, you having me. Thanks, Bill. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all who are uh, celebrating. All right. Thanks to Bill Daly for joining us. That was good stuff, guys. Coming up next, we are going to be joined by the GM of the hottest team in the Western Conference, Doug Armstrong, GM of the St. Louis Blues. And Joe's going to rejoin us for Rapid Fire. I like it. Joe Smith is going to pull a Roberto Luongo and head to the bathroom for the entire break. See you after the the whole entire holiday. We'll see you after the holidays. (laughs) Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. And we are joined on the Athletic Hockey Show by St. Louis Blues General Manager Doug Armstrong. Uh, thanks for coming on, Doug. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, to you as well. It's uh, it's been it's been a interesting year for the Blues so far. You you obviously start a couple good games, eight game losing streak, and now they're on a seven game winning streak. Uh, what's it been like for you as a manager? And then what have you noticed the biggest difference, I guess, in this in this last seven games when the team turned things around? 
Well, I thought we got off to a good start. We played a really good game at Edmonton, and then we played them a couple games later and had an excellent game. We lost by a goal, empty netter after. And so it, I felt we were we were in a good spot, and then things just started to spiral, and uh, we came out of it, uh, you know, won, a, won some good games on the road, came back, uh, got outplayed pretty badly by Washington and found a way to win. And that, those are games we're finding a way to lose, which was a good sign when you when you win games you're not supposed to win. That means you're turning the corner, and uh, and we backed it up with a couple of good wins. So we're in a good spot right now. We've sort of worked our way back into that uh, that that conglomerate in the middle of the NHL now, which is 25 teams probably, and we're <laughs> into that mix now, and it's going to be an interesting push. Yeah. Uh- it just it shows you how quickly things can change in the National Hockey League, but it's not often that you could lose eight in a row and follow it up with a seven-game uh, winning streak and hopefully tonight make it eight for you guys. Um, you know what I'm curious about, though, is you and you've done this before where you'll you, there's just a point in a season where maybe you'll step in front of the media and, and just tell it like it is. And, and I'm just curious on how you decide as a GM when's probably a good time to maybe one address the team, but then two go in front of the media and and really talk honestly and candidly about the situation at hand. Yeah, I, I, there's certainly no playbook on when you want to do that. Uh, but what I, I felt on this situation was that we lost five in a row, and and listening to the post game comments from the coaches and the players, it was like Groundhog Day, you know, and it, yeah. it, it felt like a, uh, I think it's Bull Durham or Major League, you know, God willing, one one day at a time speech. I think guys were getting tired of hearing that. And I thought it was important to give the media maybe a, day, a break from the players and the players a, a break from the media for a day. And, and also let them know that we were only 10% into the season and the sky wasn't falling, that we had a lot of time. But also that time goes quickly, too, that there was emergency in, into our situation. And um, also I wanted to make sure that that I under, I, I show my support to Craig. Usually, uh, uh, Roos, what happens in these situations, you find that, okay, things aren't going good. So they go to the first uh, lowest common denominator, which is the coach of right. what's going to change. And he wasn't going anywhere. And I wanted to make sure that he knew that and that if things didn't turn around, that wouldn't be brought up as the solution number one. Uh, and the, I give the players a ton of credit. And what I said to the guys at the time and to our media is that, these players have done a lot for my career. Obviously, they made the decade uh, just a joy to be be around, and I wanted to give them every opportunity to get out of this and sort of extend, uh, you know, we've had 10 or 11 good years. You want to extend that to 12, 13, 14. At some point, you're going to have to go through a little bit of a, a re-whatever the term is these days, uh, and, and we don't want to do that right now. And uh, all the credit goes to the players and the staff, the coaching staff, to get these guys back on track to where we're in that uh, in that group of players that you're in one day out one day uh, but a few wins put you in a good spot can i just ask you one thing a follow-up on that is how alarming after you had that conversation when i think you lost three more games after that where you were giving up a lot of goals there was that concerning to you that wow maybe it just didn't work and i will have to start to dig into the roster yeah i i thought we played a decent game in boston uh you know uh put us to the long list of teams that got beat by the bruins at home right. Uh, but we really didn't play well the next night in Philly, and that was a little bit concerning. I know we were tired, uh, but I thought we would have a better effort, and then to the guys' credit, they came home, uh, sort of got an ugly win against San Jose, and then that sort of turned things around. But, yeah, we weren't, uh, you know, we were, you know, if you look at the underlying stats, we were bad offensively, bad defensively, bad special teams. That usually <laughs> puts out to a, to a poor record, and it's, 
And that's not who, who we think we are, or who we believe we are. And I give the guys a ton of credit for putting their best foot forward recently. And um, looking at the schedule now, you, you try and find games or okay, you can breathe. There are no breathable games anymore in the NHL. And so uh, tonight's a, a Buffalo team that, that got off their, their skid last night in Montreal. And that'll be a good test. And we go down to Florida, which is always difficult. So uh, every time you think you maybe gave yourself a little bit of breathing room, you look at the schedule and say, it's probably not tonight. You, you've alluded to the parody a couple times. You mentioned the conglomerate of teams. It feels like there's 25 teams in the middle. Uh, in the central division, there's seven points right now between first and sixth place. What does that do for you as a, as a general manager? Because I feel like there's some value in knowing where you are in the league and, and where you stand. And it just feels like there's so much parity in the league right now. It's kind of hard to tell where you're at. Um, does, does that affect the way you evaluate your team? And then and, and how do you kind of get around that with, with the teams just playing so evenly right now? Well, a couple of things that I've noticed this year is that the, the teams that have been uh, uh, rebuilding have gotten there quicker than the top teams are going down. And so that that's pushing everybody into the middle. You you have Boston, which is a perennially great team. Uh, they're there again this year. Now you have a team like Jersey that's on an unbelievable heater right now. Uh, and then you have a even even the the teams at the bottom now aren't that far away. So you have 25, 26 teams that are relatively the same. And I think it's going to be like that for a couple of years. So what you want to try and do is extend your good streaks longer and and nip those bad streaks uh, quicker. Uh, and I also think uh, that it's not parity in the league. It's the style of play in the league has changed. And I think when you're, you know, I've been in the NHL now 30 years, it's coming to grips with the new, the new reality of, of teams not protecting leads the way they did at one point. They're out looking to extend the lead. And the, the problem when you extend the lead, you take chances and chances sometimes up in your net and you allow teams back into it. I think the younger players are more apt to playing offense all the time and, uh, I'm getting used to to watching that. It's not as it's not as easy on the coaches and the managers to watch that style of hockey because there there's an art form to playing defense and understanding the the time and the clock and the score. And it seems right now that uh, the time and the clock and the score don't mean mean as much uh, to the uh, competitors on the ice as they do the coaches and managers off the ice. Uh, Doug, uh, you know, I, w- I went to the Blues Vegas game a couple of weeks ago. I think that might have been your second win in this streak, and. Um, I thought Jordan Pennington was unreal. You know, he gave up the one goal, I think, to Kessel coming in over the blue line. But then in the third period, he was just absolutely sensational. I just want to ask you about his season. You know, what did you make of his preseason comments about losing his motivation last year? And and what do you see as the reason for him being so good and so consistent again? Yeah, I, I was, I don't say surprised. I never really thought of uh, that. That's my fault. I should have asked him some of those questions. I just read that article and I was surprised that he felt he lost his mojo and then reading that he had a, a laundry list of things he wanted to accomplish, get in the league, win a championship, play in the all-star game, you know, get a big contract. And he, he checked all those boxes off in about a, a 24 month span. And uh, now he's playing for all the right reasons, his legacy uh, to be a great teammate, to be part of something bigger than himself. And uh, I was surprised when I read it, quite honestly, I, I didn't feel, I didn't know he felt that way. Uh, but now I, I don't think he'll ever feel that way again. I think he he's positioned perfectly in his mind now on why he plays and what's important, and that's the next day and that's the next game. Uh, and he's been very good for us. Uh, uh, the underlying stats again show a little bit that when uh, when his numbers weren't good, we were we were the worst offensive team in hockey. We were giving up 
the, the number, the most amount of grade eight chances in backdoor plays. And you could have Patrick Waugh or Marty Bordeaux or Eddie Belfort in their prime, and those are still going in the net. Uh, so what we've done is tightened up around him and allow him to make the first save. And, and we're the benefactor of him doing that and playing a little more sound defensively. This this Blues team doesn't have a player with more than six goals, but you've got nine with at least four. Uh, do you feel like that's really the the identity of this team is the depth, the top nine, and, and just getting scoring from everywhere right now? That, that was our strength last year, and I think it's going to be our strength moving forward. One of the things when you when you have uh, some extended success, uh, you're picking you know 20s, 30s if, if you haven't traded those picks to try and go on a run. So I, I've been very fortunate to work with Bill Armstrong, who's now uh, in – Arizona's the manager did a great job of drafting uh, Cairo and Thomas not not in the not in the top uh, third of the draft in the bottom third or in the second round and Tage Thompson who we used to acquire Ryan O'Reilly you see what he's doing so uh, kudos go to our to our amateur scouting staff for doing a great job there uh, but we are built with depth we're not built uh, we're not built with star power or attaching our wagon to any one horse we we need we need the whole uh, the whole pack to be strong. Uh, Army, I have a question from a blues fan here, and it's about somebody that plays at the university of Minnesota. Uh, I know, you know who I'm going to ask about. Uh, I I've, I've watched him play all year long, Jimmy Snuggerud. And he is, I mean, I don't know if I've seen a better college shot on a player. I mean, he reminds me of Vanek of Kessel, uh, players like that. He's just a uh, phenomenal watch. He, um, Sam wants to know, uh, what is Snuggerud's timeline, AHL or NCAA next year? And are there any under-the-radar prospects that maybe fans aren't too familiar with that the organization is really excited about? Yeah, I would say that uh, we don't want to rush the thing uh, with Snuggy. He's got off to a great start down there. And not only is he playing well, he's playing on a top team. It's one thing producing points on a, on a team that's, that's not near the top, but he, he had to go into a great program. Uh, that that has an eye on a national championship, and he's found his way to be a good player on that team. And so we're going to let the year play itself out. We're we're not. Uh, I'm not big into rushing prospects uh, and putting them uh, in situations where they're not going to succeed. Uh, he's having a great year now, and I, I would assume he'll be back there at least for another year. Uh, but we're going to let him decide that by his play. Uh, and under the radar prospects, I, I think. Uh, you know, we all we all we have a, a player by the name of Tucker that we took in the seventh round who's starting to play games for us now on defense. He just got sent back down because we're getting healthy. But uh, I think probably you talk to every manager, they think they have five or six prospects. Then you talk to a uh, manager on another team, and they think they have one or two. So I think we have five or six, <laughs> but I'm going to keep some of those to myself. <laughs> to to stick on the subject of the future, I. I've asked a lot of general managers this just because I think it's fascinating. Obviously, most teams are pushed against the cap, and, and you're one of them. And you've got a, quite a few UFAs coming up in the in the next offseason, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, a few others. When you hear the, the positive reports that the salary cap could be going up um, sooner than maybe expected, how relieved are you? How, how much does that change plans? And, and, and just how much do you think that helps teams around the league that are all pretty much pushed against the cap? That's a that's a really great question, and and it might be a different answer. I, I like the cap being tight. I like it being flat because it it, it makes us manage. It, it separates or it, it lets the managers evolve to who are the better managers. Money is a great equalizer, uh, but if there's no money, then it comes down to your the people you surround yourself in hockey departments. So if the cap stayed flat, you know we we would adjust to that. But as an industry, you want to see that you want to see the cap grow because. That means the revenue is growing. That means the players are are, are generating 
uh, more excitement in, for our industry and it grows. So um, uh, like a, a more condensed cap, I think it's more competitive for the managers and we're competitive in a different nature. Uh, but I'd love to see the cap grow because that means the game's growing and, it, and it's great for the players. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've noticed over, over the number of years, though, that um, pre-pandemic, a bad, con- a bad contract was only bad for a year or two. And then the cap grew enough to make it acceptable. Uh, and what we saw over the last couple of years, that bad contracts stay bad contracts with so flat cap. Uh, so I, I think that if the cap does grow, uh, there's potential that it will grow this year. The commissioner said, if not next year, for sure. And it's going to grow probably 5 or 6% from that point moving forward or 4 to 5%, whatever that number is. So it's going to continue to grow, which is great. But uh, as a competitor, of, of as a manager you want to compete against the other managers and a flat cap makes that more interesting army army a couple more for you but um you know i i have this memory of uh i think it was game four last year in st louis of the wild and blue series you come down on the elevator and you got right in your car after that victory and just left and i said to you i'm like leaving already and you, you said they see enough of me and I, I was just curious you know bill Guerin has this thing too where it's like after a loss sometimes he will not go near the coach's room. He just wants to decompress, let them have their alone time. How do you decide on a, a day like that where you win that you just take off from the arena and not even show your face in the locker room? Or how do you decide it's time to maybe go take a little stroll through the locker room, talk to the coaches, whatever, win or loss? Yeah, I, I would say that I uh, it's your demeanor that you have a relationship with the head coach uh, and the, sort of the feel of the room. Uh, I haven't really gone into the room at home uh, for the better part of a year now after a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just get in my car, I try and beat the traffic guy, I get home, and then Craig will give me a call when he's driving home. That's 45 minutes later to an hour later. Everybody's had time to decompress. I, I found that when you go into a room after a win, you're excited and, and coaches are coaches. They're they're finding the, the things they didn't like about the game and certain players. And then you go in after a loss and nobody speaks, you know, everybody's down. And so it, it's just an uncomfortable feeling. And for me personally, and for Craig, uh, we found a really nice rhythm where we can talk an hour after where everybody's decompressed a little bit and we can have a private one-on-one conversation. You, you don't want to exclude the assistant coaches, but sometimes, you know, you just want to have a one-on-one relationship with the head coach. So that's something I've done for a while on the road. I go in after the game because we got to wait for the bus. I'll go in and say hi to the guys, but at home, it's just worked a little bit better. And quite honestly, it gets me home an hour earlier. I can start watching other games. Can I ask you, uh, Doug, also uh, wild just made a trade for uh, Ryan Reeves. Uh, you know, Ryan really well. Um, what can he still add at this stage of his career? And what, what are some of your best, uh, Ryan Reeves' stories of of honestly one of the best personalities in the league, somebody that I know the media absolutely love to cover because of his uh, personality, and he's an absolute quote machine. Yeah, I, I would. St- I'll start with the the latter part. I you know not covering him or not being around him being a quote machine. He's just a he's just a great human being. He's uh, he cares about people. He cares about the game. Uh, he cares about his teammates. Uh, great in the community. Uh, I've he's one of my favorite players uh, and. Um, he he just he's he just a little bit bigger than life personality uh, and I remember meeting with him and Kirk Muller one day and he wasn't playing and and uh, we had a meeting where I asked Kirk Muller to really try and take him under his wing because he was at that point where if he didn't expand his game uh, you know the the writing might have been on the wall and, and him and Kirk Muller became good friends 
I, they worked on certain things, allowed him to to get stronger, getting pucks out on the wall, to do little things to extend his career. Then he went to Pittsburgh, Vegas, the Rangers, and now he's a, he's a guy that everybody wants out as part of their organization. And what 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 shows the great character of a man is when things aren't going well, and and that's when you're not playing every night or getting the issue you want. How do you uh, how do you carry yourself around the, the room? And I never saw a difference with with Revo on that. Uh, he's going to be great uh, for the wild. He's going to be a, a fan favorite for a style of play, but he's also going to be a fan favorite for what he does in the community. And Ryan Reeves, if he desires to be, he's going to be in hockey a long time after he stops playing because he, he brings so much to an organization. He's got great hockey knowledge. Uh, you don't, you can't be in the league this long for being a one trick pony and he's a physical player, but, but as I said, he expanded his game. He's been able to, in a game that's gotten younger and quicker, he's been able to stand the test of time. And I'm a huge, huge Ryan Reeves fan, and I wish him nothing but the best. And uh, I look forward to seeing him a little more frequently now that he's going to be in Minnesota. But uh, I'm happy for him that he gets to a, to a situation, and uh, I look forward to watching him. And again, when you see him, please pass on my best. I'm I'm a great fan of his. Fantastic. I, I couldn't uh, agree more just for my short time covering it here in Vegas, uh, all those things, especially in the community, um, all over the place. Uh, this has been great. Uh, thanks for coming on, Doug. We really appreciate the time. I appreciate having me again. Again, uh, happy Thanksgiving to everybody and uh, take care. Yeah, you too. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks guys. Well, Jesse, uh, insightful conversation with, uh, with Doug Armstrong. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, you covered Ryan Reeves, uh, for a long time in Vegas. Um, actually before we hired you, I covered that 2018, uh, Vegas team and I covered that Jets, uh, Golden Knights series where he won the uh, where he had the series clinching goal against the Jets against his hometown team. Um, he, as I mentioned, he's a quote machine. You know him best. Uh, tell Wild fans what to expect with him, both on and off the ice. Yeah, a lot of what Doug just said is 100% true. I mean, he's great. Uh, off the ice, he's he's always in the community. Like every event the Golden Knights held that I would go to, whether it's a Thanksgiving turkey giveaway, anything, Ryan Reeves is the first guy there, um, and he's the most popular guy there. Um, he also has a beer company. Uh, he had a beer in St. Louis. He had a beer in Vegas. I don't know if he was in New York to have a beer long enough, but you may have a, a, a beer company in Minnesota soon. Um, on the ice, he's... so. Ryan Reeves, the hockey player, brings a lot in terms of the energy. Pete DeBoer and Gerard Gallant both started the Golden Knights fourth line on a regular basis in games because they liked what... And, and this this is solely because of Ryan Reeves, because when Reeves would be out of the lineup, whether it was for injury or whatever, the fourth line no longer started. But when Reeves was in the lineup, they liked to start that line because it puts the other team on their heels. It gets them looking over their shoulder a little more. They know he likes to finish his checks. So um, he brings that. In terms of the offense... Um, it's not great. Mm -hmm. I, I was a pretty big uh, <laughs> critic of Reeves here in Vegas. Uh, he it's he can be a liability at times on defense. He, when he's in the offensive zone, it's working. They like to I like I call them yellow puck shifts. They wrap it around the boards over and over and over. It never really comes off the boards, but they spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. And when he spends time in the offensive zone, they're good productive shifts that they hand off to the top line um, in a good spot. He can get in trouble when he has to play in his own end. Um, but, and, and I think that's why you see some of the, he's been scratched, what, five of the last eight games of the last whatever, nine for, for the wrench, eight of the last nine games yeah. in New York. Yeah. And that, and that's why when, when he's caught in his own end, he's not the best defender, but, 
Um, if you can put him in the right spots, he's, he can be an, an agitator for the other team. And obviously he brings a lot of that other stuff. I, I'll never forget the shark series. Uh, the first round, the one that went seven games that had the major penalty where the golden Knights blew it is the most epic playoff series I've ever covered. And that series, Ryan Reeves was just spectacular on the ice. He was getting into Vander Kane's head. He was off the ice. We'd just walk into the locker room and, uh, Kevin Kurz was covering the sharks for us at the time. He would be in the Sharks locker room and I'd be in the Knights locker room and we're texting the quotes back and forth so that the players can reply to each other like in real time. <laughs> and Reeves is calling uh, Joe Thornton grandpa. Joe Thornton had to play one, had to spend a game in the penalty box or in the uh, press box. And Reeves was saying uh, he's getting him some glasses because he doesn't think he can see the the oh, ice man. from up there. It, just phenomenal. Yeah. He is incredibly fun to cover. You're uh, I, I'm so jealous. You get Flurry, yeah. my favorite player to cover. And now you get Ryan Reeves, another guy, another yeah. easy guy to cover. I, uh, so Dane Mizutani, who covers the uh, Wild for the Pioneer Press, he's the biggest Ryan Reeves fan ever. And about a week and a half ago, I said, I said, I have a feeling you're about to get your dream come true because I, I kept on hearing word and it made all the sense in the world for the Wild to go after him simply because the Wild are such an undersized team that gets beat on the boards and things like that. But, but as I, Bill Guerin said today, they've, they've lost their swagger. They have very little energy, and that's partly why they're bringing him. My, yeah, my, my feeling on the trade as well is I'll be interested to see if he could play a regular shift here or if there's going to come a point where he's going to be need to be scratched or things like that, if they're going to want a, a faster lineup. That was the one thing that I saw opening night with him is he's still the toughest hombre around. I mean, Marcus Foligno just sent me some hilarious texts, and they've had some epic battles. Um, but he has trouble getting to those hits now. You know, he's not the fleetest of foot uh, where he used to be this big linebacker on skates. Right. And uh, so, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see if it works. Uh, as I wrote uh, about a week and a half ago when I wrote about Reeves and I said on my podcast a couple of weeks ago as well, um, if Bill Guerin thought that they weren't rugged enough last year when he acquired Nick Delorier, he's definitely going to think they're not rugged enough this year because they're just a softer team, plain and simple. And so that's a big uh, reason for this trade, a message to the locker room, too. And and not only the the when you think like they they don't have the energy the swagger I think Reeves brings it but in the locker room he's great I mean yeah. he's going to bring a swagger to that team and and you feel a little I, I remember Golden Knights players saying like you you feel a, a couple inches taller when you're skating around with Ryan Reeves on the bench because yeah. you know like you're <laughs> like the other team's going to have to answer for for anything they do uh, so so we had that late breaking trade and then we also had the Leafs that traded. Uh, four defensemen, not surprising. They've obtained Connor Timmins, a uh, 24-year-old defenseman from the Coyotes, uh, in exchange for six foot nine center Curtis Douglas. That is a massive, massive player. Yeah. Um, but no surprise for this trade. Obviously, the Leafs have been decimated on the blue line. Uh, they just needed an NHL body right here, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think we. we did we talk about it earlier on this podcast, or uh, I can't remember. We have, I feel like we've we've recorded this podcast in different segments here, but we talked about the Leafs and how they needed, uh, you know, to get a defenseman. They were just decimated by injury. Now Morgan Riley, um, obviously we know about TJ Brody. Um, they're just, they're just, uh, you know, a mess right now on the blue line. And there's just going to had to come a point where they're going to add, uh, need to add an NHL body. And they clearly did that man, six, nine center that they traded away to. That's unbelievable. Yeah. The golden Knights have Mason Primo, uh, the Primo's kid here in Vegas. And I think he's like six, seven and he's yeah. a center. And it just, it looked like for whatever reason, a forward being that a yes. defenseman being six, seven doesn't really throw you off, but that yeah. like he lines up for a face off and you're like, yeah. wait a minute, what's going on here? Jesse, I'm telling you last night, I watched the Montreal Buffalo game and Tage Thompson is six, 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 eight on skates. Um, he looks like he's about seven, two and he skates like he is, you know, you know, like a, like should be doing like, you know, hundred yard dashes. He is, he is a right. phenomenal 
phenomenal player. Obviously, I'm not saying that Douglas is going to be that, but I'm just like, there's just something about a gigantic forward that could skate. And again, Tage also, as you said, center, uh, you know, pretty, pretty impressive season that Tage is having. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff. And uh, thanks again to Doug Armstrong for joining us. Uh, when we come back, Joe's going to come back and we're going to do rapid fire. So don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, we are back for your favorite time of the show and our favorite time of the show, Rapid Fire. Uh, we're going to start off with, we, we hit on a lot of stuff in the first segment. We didn't quite get to this. Joel Quinville um, has said he wants to return to the NHL behind an NHL bench. Obviously, as we discussed with Bill Daly, there, there are NHL uh, hoops that that's got to go through in order to happen. <laughs> um, what, did, what was your initial thought when you hear that, Michael? Well, I mean, not a surprise that he wants to get back in. And, and as you said, I mean, all this is a moot point to talk about because he's going to have to go and sit in front of uh, Gary Bettman and, and get cleared to return to behind a bench. Um, you know, obviously, uh, he's had some time to do some thinking on the way that that situation was handled by the Chicago Blackhawks hierarchy and and his, um, you know, clear, um, you know, ignoring of a major, major issue that was going on in Chicago because he wanted to win hockey games. Um, it, during the playoffs, and and you know, to me, it's an unacceptable situation. Um, you know, did he, is is he is he remorseful? Does he has he felt like he's made amends? This is stuff that Gary Bettman's going to have to determine and whether or not in this climate, um, where we all know that social media can <laughs> could uh, you know just imagine. I mean, we just saw what happened to Mitch Miller. Just imagine on the day that say Joe Quenville is reinstated and hired by a team, what's going to happen to that team? So that's another thing that this could be a moot point, guys. Is as good as he coaches is an NHL team after witnessing, um, you know, what social media and the whole uh, you know situation with with any sort of controversy can you know put in terms of a blotch on an organization. Are they going to want that headache? So there's multiple hoops that he's going to have to go through before this is even at all something that can come into fruition. Yeah, like, can you imagine, like, you know, them asking if he's ever reached out to Cal Beach since the incident? Like, you know, has he gone and apologized? Yeah. Like, for me, like, he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's one of the brightest hockey minds that are in the league. And so no doubt if you're, if you're a team, you'd like to have a guy like that on your bench. But there's so many issues that are beyond that right now. Um, and I think it would be important, not just him meeting with Bettman, but him speaking publicly about this. And instead of last year, he wanted to avoid it with all costs when they were asked about it and kind of dismissed it as nothing. So if he comes back and gets this whole... Second chance again. I think there should be a media, not say media culpa, but he should be able to be open and honest in 
the media to the fans of this team, whoever he goes to, and says, hey, listen, I, I screwed up, or whatever he wants to say, or whatever, what he learned in the process. But I don't, it shouldn't be where he gets to come back and coach and all of a sudden say, oh, it's in the past, guys, I'm done with that. I, you know, I think it should be more of a, a public-facing uh, response to what was a serious, serious problem in Chicago. It wasn't all his fault, of course, but he definitely lays some blame in that particular issue. I totally agree. Not only with just the apology, but also the the what have you learned? Like yeah. what 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 have we learned from this whole situation? And and he's someone that obviously is super involved in it. And and to me, I agree. Needs to speak publicly about what he's learned, about why he's apologizing, why he wants to to be back in the league, how he can do things differently. Um, there's not really a good transition to get to this next topic, but uh, we we mentioned the Thanksgiving break is is a big moment for teams to figure out where they're at. That kind of leads into trades, and one of the potential trade targets looks like he's coming back to play. Jacob Chikrin is going to return to the Coyotes, it looks like. We all know that the Coyotes are tanking right now. They're, they're trying to trade every player they can to get what they can. What, what would you say about uh, Chikrin coming back, and, and what, do you think, what kind of interest do you think there is around the league? Obviously, he's a really good player. He's under a, a super reasonable contract, three more years at like $4 million, I think. Um, should be a lot of callers. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I do agree with you. I mean, you know, I think that they're going to want to see him healthy right away. Um, you know, uh, it is he is coming back. I talked to his dad the other day. Father-son trip right now. So his, he, Jacob's coming back for that. He's got two more seasons that I believe four six, which is a bargain deal if he's the player that he was a couple years ago. If he's the player that we've seen lately, you know, it doesn't look like that, um, that he is that high-ender. But I think that happens a lot when you're kind of stuck in Arizona and playing for what, you know, behind, in front of or behind uh, some of the, the problems that they've had here the last couple of years. I think that here are, there's going to be a lot of teams that are interested. We know the Toronto Maple Leafs are a team that are just absolutely decimated on the blue line. There's other teams like Ottawa that need blue liners, Edmonton, uh, uh, teams like that. Um, and, and I think that this now opens the door that we're going to start to see um, a lot of uh, you know, potential trade interest here as we get to that that real pressure point of post Thanksgiving, and that means guys like Bo Horvat, John Klingberg, Duck still not one in regulation. Um, you know, Klingberg signs the one year deal at seven million because there was no interest in giving him a long term deal last year. I think these are the type of players that are going to start to gain some interest there. You know, I think especially with the way Vancouver is playing, Bo Horvat's going to be one of the hottest names on the market. And if he wants, yeah. if he agrees and he wants to get out of there, he wants to be part of a team that he thinks can win faster. There will be a lot of contenders or teams that want to be contenders. I even look at teams that need center help, center depth, and we we cover one on a daily basis, Mike, a team that needs a center center help in that respect. So um, he'll be one of the hottest names I'll be looking for uh, as we go the next couple months towards the trade deadline. To be fair, the Wild have needed uh, center depth since the year 2000. They don't believe in center depth. Uh, one, one, one team that looks like it doesn't need any help at center, uh, and, and we know they don't need help at first-line center, the Boston Bruins seem like they're never going to lose again. Patrice Bergeron hit the 1,000-point mark in their win over Tampa Bay. Uh, what, what impresses you the most about what Patrice has done and what he continues to do at this high level? Uh, we'll start with you, Joe. I mean, I think just the consistency uh, over the course of his career, right? That's a, a very difficult position to play up the middle and, and be that elite for that long of a time. I think they're almost could rename the Selkie after him considering how much he's pretty much every year you just pencil him in at number one uh, for the most part. Um, and that team, people doubted them before the year started, right? They already lost all these players. Are they old and aging? Is that run for them, that team that started in 2011 done? And I think he's a big part of, you know, bringing Crutchy back and getting the whole group together. And uh, they play like a mentally strong 
uh, veteran team um, that's having fun. And, and he, he sets a tone uh, from the top there. There are so many GMs in this league that if you say in the heyday, who would you start an NHL franchise on? I know a lot of people look at this guy, that guy. Most, A lot of these GMs value what Bergeron um, could do from a two-way perspective. He is, I mean, you know, it's almost funny to think that, remember, there was talk of him retiring this offseason. They were just so excited to get him back. And here he is, a point of game, still elite defensively, still elite on the penalty kill, still one of the great face-off guys in the NHL. And what we saw during the Mitchell Miller thing that reaffirmed he's just a great, great human being. And uh, the Boston Bruins um, absolutely... Um, it's just uh, you know lucky that they that they were drafted him in that draft in 2003 that we always talk about first round this first round that to think that Patrice Bergeron went 45th overall if I remember correctly um, you know it's it's just quite amazing and then just an incredible draft uh, that he was the 45th best player taken pretty unbelievable definitely good stuff guys uh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving Michael. I'm going to friends, uh, and I got cousins here in Minnesota, so doing all, uh, getting all that. Got some work to do, too. Uh, um, uh, just some stories to write. Going to be writing about your team here in a little bit, I think. All uh, right. They're starting to win some games again. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, just excited to get past the holiday here and uh, get into the really the uh, the fun of the uh, the hockey season, which is, as we all know, the second half. How about you, Joe? What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Yeah, well, my wife and I and our dog are making the drive over to the Chicago area to see uh, my mother-in-law there. And then my sister and her, my nephews are in Aurora as well. So we're going to spend Thanksgiving between those two places, which is one of the benefits of moving up to the, back to the Midwest is being a little closer to family. So um, we'll be a lot of day, a lot of time on the road uh, on Wednesday and over the weekend, but it'll be worth it for a lot of good family time. Awesome. Well, safe travels. Uh, I, I will not be traveling. I'll be staying here in Vegas. I'll be hanging out with some family here. I'll also be writing like Mike. Uh, I, uh, I have an NHL 99 piece coming up that I'm, I'm putting the finishing touches on uh, Tony Esposito. And wow. as everyone that listens to this show knows, I am the goalie guy. I'm a goalie nerd. I have had so much fun nerding out, talking to like the first goalie coaches in NHL history, uh, really digging deep into, into the history books of, of goaltending for this one. It's been a lot of fun. So that's what I'll be doing on my Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening. I hope you all have a great Thanksgiving also. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platforms. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. Our Black Friday sale at The Athletic is happening now. It ends next Monday, November 28th, but for now, you can get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month for a year when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. The Athletic Hockey Show returns Monday with Mendez and McKenzie. Have a great Thanksgiving. The Roundtable returns next week with our guest, Bernie Nichols.